0: This afternoon is the last presentation of three, and it's entitled, Take Away the Stone. Take Away the Stone. So if you have your Bibles with, with you, would you please turn me to a story in John chapter 11, John chapter 11, verse 38. In your Bibles, John chapter 11, verse 38. We're living in a time where the external is everything and the internal is not so important. It's because of this that we have put up a front as to who we really are just so that others will like us. So every time we go out somewhere, we like to put on our best, we like to um, look our best, we like to act our best so people will like us. But unfortunately, that is only a mask, and that mask usually comes off at home or with our roommates. For it is at home or in our rooms that everyone sees who we really are. Except, of course, for the deep, dark secrets that no one knows about. And so this is what I want to address, that because I feel that this is a situation that's plaguing our churches. And because of the, everyone wears these masks, that we meet so many nice people out there, so many nice Christians out there. And yet we wonder why their homes are falling apart. We wonder why there's there's brokenness in there, and we wonder why their children are rebelling. See, if there ever was a time where we needed healing in our homes, our schools, and our communities, then that time is now. You believe that? Let me say, amen. 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 Satan is attacking our institution of our family in these last days, destroying it. And there's such a need for healing, I believe, in our homes and. When I realized this as a pastor, I realized, you know, inspiration says that our churches is made up out of our homes because everything happens in the home, and what happens in the home is brought to the churches. So I used to work at the church level and try to do programs and planning and events, and I realized this was not the the answer to the solution to our problems. I felt that I need to go back to the, remember cause, to effect we've been learning all weekend? I need to go back to the root cause again, and that is let's deal with the homes. And the home is made out of individuals. And as each individual experiences healing, then God can do a powerful work eventually in our churches. But before we can be healed, we must first realize who we really are and thus take the mask off that we wear. Because when we wear masks, we start to believe those masks. Like we put the mask on that everything's all great, everything's going good. And when we put these masks on, we eventually we start to believe these masks as if we are good. And so because of that, when you start believing what you're putting on so people will like you, sooner or later you start to believe that everything's okay, therefore you don't seek healing because only those who are sick need a what? Physician. Physician, right? So that's the danger of having masks and that's what we're talking about here. It's almost like postmodernism has, you know, young people. You know, they don't like authority, the postmodern mindset, right? And that's bad, but they can be good in that too. That's another sermon. But the danger in that also is that they're basing their dependence and they're looking at being influenced by their peers, right? So they may not listen to what you say, but post on Facebook to their friends about something and they're quickly, you know, changed because of that, right? So they're looking to their peers in a lot of ways. And a lot of times because of that, the fear of being different from their friends is so powerful that they will become people that, who they are not. They're put on masks, you know, especially educational institutions. A lot of young people are, there's a heavy pressure to fit in with their friends or to be a certain way or to look good or to look professional, whatever it may be. It's a very strong temptation to go that direction. And I've seen that everywhere in our educational institutions. I gave this presentation in Phoenix this past year in one of my seminars. And an older man came forward, and he was quite upset at my presentation. So I don't mind you get upset. It's fine with me. <laughs> you can talk to me after. And the reason why he's upset, he says, what do you mean we have to be real? He said, why do you say that we have to be real? He said, we all fake it. (laughs) He said, we fake being nice to people? He said, I fake being nice to my wife? (laughs) I didn't ask him the question. So if everyone is doing it, does that make it okay? Of course, he couldn't answer me. But that's how he left it. We all fake it. So as we learn about the mask that we all wear, may the spirit of a loving God search and convict us as to who we really are. And maybe some of us here may discover for the first time who we really are. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, grant freedom of speech and soften hearts is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen so we're going to look at the story of lazarus so lazarus was sick remember and his family had called for jesus and jesus had waited how many days before he came to see lazarus do you remember yeah. okay so so lazarus had been dead how many days though four days right we learned from the bible so four days before jesus got there you know jesus purposely waited right for this to happen for for lazarus to die now, John chapter 11, verse 38. When Jesus came to Lazarus' tomb, what did he come across? You Notice know what the Bible says here in John chapter 11, verse 38, because, you know, don't believe a word I have to say, but believe what the Bible has to say. What do you say? Amen? So John chapter 11, verse 38. Let's see what the Bible has to say. And let's look at a story about this, putting on a mask, a show. The Bible says, Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a what? stone lay against it so jesus came to Lazarus' tomb and there was a stone covering it now in order for the light to come in to this dark tomb what first had to happen the stone must be removed first now jesus is the light of the what world the light right So the light of Jesus to come into the dark tomb. And also the Bible says that 1 John 4 verse 8 that God is what? God is, 1 John 4 verse 8 says God is what? Okay, love, right? So here we have Jesus being light and being love. But before the light of love was to shine into that dark tomb, the stone first had to be removed. If that's clear, let me hear you say amen. Amen? You see, this stone represents the many different ways we try to keep things covered up so that we can then fool others and ourselves into believing that we're okay. In other words, the reason why the light doesn't come into our dark souls is not because the light does not want to come in, but because we ourselves are put on a covering or a mask so that it cannot come in. Because as long as we have that mask, like I said, we will actually believe that we are okay. And like the Pharisees, they believed they were okay. And Jesus said, because, you know, you say you see, but really you're blind, right? So to think that you're actually, you're okay, and you see, you're not blind, everything's great, everything's going good. You will never seek healing from the great physician. And that's why having a mask on is so dangerous. And I've seen that this is one of the greatest dangers I see in our churches today. Is that everyone is wearing such a mask that no one is being real anymore? It's very few and far between I come across a group of people that's actually real. I was making some presentations in Seattle, Washington, and I asked them first of all, I asked them, what do you think of the presentations? And they say, you know, I really was blessed by them. You know, I thought, well, you know, be like, you know, maybe something I said or it was like a you know some interpretation of the word of God. And I said, and he said to me, but you know what it really was? was actually your transparency said we don't hear that we don't hear that those messages of being real and transparent and open and i realized that for myself the more i share the more i need to be transparent you know why because once you hear who i am i can no longer change my message right (laughs) i can no longer pretend because once i'm transparent You're like, hey, wait a minute. I know how you are. I heard your testimony. You can't can't run from who you really are anymore, right? You can't pretend to be something you're not anymore. And so, I see there's a great need to that. So what was the next thing that Jesus did? Look at John chapter 11, verse 39. The Bible says here, Jesus said, take away the, what? Stone. Jesus commanded that they take away the stone. You see, Jesus was about to do a great miracle here but there was a part that humanity needed to do in other words jesus required humanity to do something here something special and that was to take away the stone and you know it was because of lazarus and jesus love for lazarus and his love for the family that jesus spoke in such strong language of tough love and because Jesus loves you so much and Jesus loves me so much, he often comes and speaks very strongly in what I call tough love also. He gives us strong commands. And the same way, beloved, he commands us to take away the stone so that the light may come in. He commands us to take off the mask so that the love may shine through. He commands us to break down the walls so that the healing may begin. I want that. How about you? Huh? Amen. So the light came to this dark tomb but a stone was covering so the light couldn't come in. And Jesus commanded, take away the stone. Just as he commanded, take away the stone out of your life. And then what happens in 11 verse 39, the second part. Notice, what did Martha then do? John 11 verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he had been dead four days. After Jesus commanded to have the stone taken away, Martha protested, but Lord, he's been dead for four days. If we take away the stone, then everyone will see his rotting cadaver and smell his decaying body. True? Now we can relate with Martha, can we not? And that she didn't want to face the decay and despair of what was in that dark tomb. And the same way, beloved, many of us don't want to take away the covering from off our lives because we're afraid of how nasty, of how smelly, of how humiliating it would be. For just like Martha, we protest that if we take away the stone, everyone will see our family skeletons. Just like Martha, we protest that if we take off the mask, everyone will see who we really are. Just like Martha we protest that if we break down the walls, we only get hurt once again. Charlene was a young college student, and Charlene went for counseling with her pastor. And every time he came to the situation where she knew she needed to forgive the person who hurt her and wounded her, she would say, "No, I cannot." Because that bitterness and unforgiveness is all I've got. Basically, she was saying that this is who I've created my whole life. I created this self of unforgiveness, and I can't just forgive and move on. She did that three times, and she stopped the sessions. 20 years later, Charlene had gone for a while. have not seen a church for 20 years. The pastor had a special invitation to a church out of his state. So he went to this church to speak, and after his presentation, somebody walked down the center aisle toward him. As he looked, and she came up next to him, she asked him the question, Pastor, do you remember me? And he said, yes, I remember you. Charlene, right? She said, yes. And she said, Pastor, After two divorces and one nervous breakdown later, I guess I really should have given it all up. And before the pastor had time to respond, she turned around and walked out the door, never to be seen again. God wants to write a different story with your life. What do you say? Amen? I believe it's time that God wants his people to take off the stones, to take off the mask, and to be real with God and each other. I want that, how about you? What do you say, huh, amen? What happened next? John chapter 11, verse 41 and 43. Notice you know what the Bible says here? John chapter 11, verse 41 and 43. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 43, now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. You see, it was only after the stone was removed that Jesus was able to perform a miracle by bringing Lazarus back to life. And the same way, even though we may have been healed in the past, God still wants us to heal on a daily basis. God still wants us to heal even today from what may have happened to us this morning. And God wants us to take up that mask, because every time we get hurt, we want to put on a mask that everything's okay and everything's great. But God wants to move in His Holy Spirit upon my life, your life, every single day and every moment of the day. And Lazarus came forth. You see, they only need to do one thing in order to experience a miracle, and that was to take away the stone. And in the same way, many of us are only one step away from experiencing a great miracle in our life. We're just one step away from removing that stone. And all we have to do is remove that stone. And if we will remove that stone, we will see great miracles happening in our lives. But sometimes that one step may be the greatest step of our lives and the hardest. And I've seen that people who are so scared because what we've done is we realize soon in life that unless we present a certain super self, I call it, of ourselves, a super self of what we like ourselves to be presented as to other people, unless we create that super self, we're not going to get the approval and acceptance from other people. Whether it was our parents or our dad growing up, unless we create a super self and even resort to things like lying so that we may look like we're actually good, so we present a super self. And so we're so used to presenting this this perfect picture of ourselves to everyone and all those around us, and even our spouses and our family. But sooner or later, they find out. But out to the community, we present this out there. And we're so used to that and getting approval and acceptance from that, that we're so scared that we realize, just like Charlene, that this is all I've got. And if I were to destroy this super self I've worked all my life to create, and the more longer you live in this lie, like the Bible says, you believe a lie, yeah? The more longer you're living this lie, as the decades go on or the years go on, the more harder it is to give up this lie. Is that not true? And that's why I realized that the younger you are and you realize this message and you accept this message, the better and easier it is for you to give up the lie. Unfortunately, the more older you are and the years pass by, extremely, extremely hard unless we come as a little child we will not enter into the kingdom of heaven it's not that the light cannot come in but because we won't remove the stone the mass, the pretension, the super self away so the light can come in God loves us and he wants his love to come into your hearts and he wants you to change and he wants to experience his love but he would not force you to be healed He's not going to come in and force you to be healed. He's not going to come in to force the, the light to come in. He's not going to force his love to, into your heart. Christ is a gentleman, is he not? Right? He's going to ask you to remove the stone by your own free choice. And my question is, will we be willing to do that? We must be set free. What happened next? John chapter 11, verse 44. Notice what happened next. So there were, the light came in. The miracle happened. They're taking away the stone. But I want you to notice what happened here in John chapter 11, verse 44. The Bible says, And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. So the miracle had happened. They had been healed. God had worked miracles in, in, in Lazarus' life and brought back him back from the dead, brought life out of death, something out of nothing. But even though the miracle had happened and he had been brought back from the dead, he still was bound by the grave clothes of his past. he still was bound and guess who actually wrapped him in his grave clothes the people who claimed to love him the most his family and his friends is that not true in the same way we may have been healed but it's often those closest to us who keep us bound that's why Jesus told his family and friends of Lazarus set him free in the same way we must also set those whom we love free Set them free from the grave clothes of their past Set them free from the negative expectations that we give Set them free from the gossip of their sins You know, I realized this That when I had experienced conversion And God had totally changed my life You know, my friends were saying Wow, you know, Keala If if God can change you, there's hope for anybody (laughs) More than one person has told me that You know, but some friends weren't so amazed. And so I had a privilege of working with a teacher who we knew each other before I was converted. And then when I became converted, I was a pastor of this church and had a church school there. And she became, a good friend, became um, the church school principal. So we were working side by side together. And... She said to me, and we had a little meeting one time, and out of the blue, she kind of just said to me, you know, I need to tell you this, but when you first got converted, and you actually change, I thought to myself, ah, he's just going through a phase. (laughs) Give him some time, and he's going to go right back to how he used to be. And she said, it was only after 12 years, I realized that you're for real. (laughs) I can tell you from experience that we can be tied by the great clothes of our past from those who claim to love us the most. Amen? And that can happen to you too. And so Jesus said, set him free. Don't tie people down with negative expectations. Don't tie them down with what how they did things in the past or they, did, they made mistakes. We should grant people the freedom to be who they are and grant them the freedom to even make mistakes even in the future because we all make mistakes. What do you say? Amen? And we should be gracious and merciful and loving to those even those who experience a conversion and change of character. Now, let's go to prophecy. Revelation 13 verse 11. Revelation 13 verse 11. What are the characteristics of the second beast of Revelation 13? I talked a little bit about this morning, and I want to focus this one thought and go to something else. But Revelation 13, verse 11, what are the characteristics of the second beast of Revelation 13? And as I shared this morning, verse 11 says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a what? Dragon. Dragon. So we know here that we saw a beast, and a beast represents again nation right coming out of the earth and earth is the opposite of what sea right and sea represents what people right so earth is what the opposite of sea which is what unpopulated relatively uninhabited area right so that's what we're looking at here so it's a nation right and so this nation he had two horns like a one, lamb right so lamb represents who in the bible jesus right and he spoke like a what dragon dragon represents okay satan in revelation chapter 12 right so is that good or bad satan okay bad so on the outside jesus is a good or bad is jesus is the lamb good or bad good right so on the outside it looks like a what good right glam christian good right but on the inside out of the abundance of the Heart, the mouth, speaketh. So what some, someone says on, with the mouth reveals what's in their heart, right? So it speaks like a dragon because it has the heart of a dragon. The heart is on the inside. So on the outside, it looks good, but the inside, it has the heart of a dragon. So it's bad, right? So the principle is this. This was a prophecy of this nation, right? And the nation is made out of you and me, people. So the citizens of... This nation was prophesied. We were prophesied in the last days that there would be a people who would pretend to be something they are not. There will be a people in the last days who pretend to be something, like putting on a mask, putting on the stone, putting on a facade, putting up a super self so that people will like me. But that's not who they really are. There's something different on the inside. They're not being transparent. They're not being real. That is America's plague today from prophecy. We are prophesied to be this way. And God wants a change. And you think, well, you know what? That's just the world. That's how the world is. But we're in a church. And we're the remnant church. So we're better than the world. Well, let's go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. And let's look at Laodicea, our church. And then my question is, is this just in the world? That's my question. Is this super self we present to everyone else, a facade, being fake, not being real? Is it just in the world is my question. And I answer with Revelation 3, verse 17. What is Laodicea's problem? What is our problem? The Bible says, because you say i am what rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing increase with goods right and do not know that you are what wretched miserable poor blind and naked in other words laodicea believes the lie that the good and increase with goods right And they don't need anything. In other words, they're good people. And they believe that lie, so they actually believe it. And act that way and present a super self to everyone else around them. But God comes and God gives a correct diagnosis. And he goes to Laodicea and God says to them, Look, you think you are a certain way on the outside. You present a super self on the outside. You're good, increase the good. You don't need anything. And you have it all, right? But I want to tell you a true diagnosis. And this is it. On the outside, you're presenting something. But on the inside, I can tell you. God's saying to you and me, this afternoon, I can tell you on the inside that really, your true self is that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. If that's clear, let me hear you say amen. Amen? Amen. In other words, Laodicea's problem is the same with Revelation 13, 11's problem of the nation. And that is this. Laodicea is thinking to be something it is not. Laodicea is pretending to be something it is not so not only this dual prophecy not only is this saying here that we as people here in this nation are like this to pretend to be something that we are not that we are putting up a super self that we are wearing a facade we are putting on a mask that we are putting on a stone covering not only that for this nation but the Bible is also saying here those specifically God saying in my special chosen remnant church that my people are pretending to be something they are not and I can tell you from experience and I don't even have to tell you but you know from your own experience that this is exactly what's going on and oftentimes we can even see that there's more transparency even more in the world and that's why God comes with this message of the straight testimony to the Laodicean church that before you can be healed you must have a desire to be healed before you can be healed of your sickness you must realize that you are sick spiritually sick emotionally sick sick enough that you actually would desire to be healed from your sickness right isn't that what our Laodicea message is really all about and that's a need to be real with God to really be real with God and say God this is who I am to destroy that mass that facade to take away that stone, destroy that super self and say, God, I am weak. I am wretched. I am miserable. I am poor. I am blind and naked. And I need your healing. And then and only then will God come to us. When we roll away that stone, then and only then will God come to us and then we experience healing. But the poor to be Someone's super a super self Is so strong You know I guess in my churches I I guess I have a lot of these experiences, but When I first started ministry there was a woman who claimed she was a prophetess and She actually had you know out-of-body experiences and she was Uh, stalking one of my members and they came to me asking me for help with two of these members and she wrote letters saying I am God and you know these different things so I had to deal with that and I couldn't figure it out and then actually it was only recently a few couple years ago I had another member that came and she was actually believing that she has special messages from God with a special health message for our time and, you know, I don't know why they always like to gravitate to all my churches, right? <laughs> I don't know if it's me or I don't know what it is. <laughs> but remember I told you this morning that I was on medical disability for a year and a half. You know, there's a couple weeks before it happened. This one lady, she came to me. And after my presentation, I mean, she used to tell me some things that were pretty scary. So I was kind of, kind of staying away from her. So... I kind of don't want to hear what she's going to say because it's a little bit eerie sometimes. So I just like, I gave a presentation, a Sabbath afternoon class, and after I gave the classes, she came up to me and said, Pastor Keala, I need to tell you something. I had a dream about you, a vision. (laughs) (laughs) I was so exhausted, you know, I had the morning service, I did two afternoon classes, and I was, did some talking, counseling, I was so tired. And I was so exhausted, I didn't answer her. (laughs) <laughs> and she said to me a second time Pastor Keala I had a vision of you, I need to tell you of course she's wanting me to say okay tell me but I was so tired I didn't answer her again <laughs> finally said Pastor Keala I need to tell you something I had a vision of you I said okay go ahead and I was totally caught off guard and she, she said this to me so I had a vision of you, and the vision was this, that I saw that a knife had gone through your throat and had sliced your throat all the way across. Okay. You know, that shook me. I've seen a lot in my pastoral ministry years. But you know, this, this was like two or three weeks right before I went on medical disability. And I thought about that, and I'm like, you know this this woman she claims she has vision, and I don't doubt she may have some things, but her desire to be something special was so strong, and I realized that here I was before I was in the home always counseling and advising them and trying to heal their relationships with each other because they were so broken and hurting and yeah, like I was sharing this morning, right, this presentation about they using that as a barrier to protect their hearts, right, religion. In other words, they felt like their whole life, they're not accepted by their parents, their, their dad or their mom, or not even accepted by their own spouse, their own husband. She didn't feel accepted, but if she created this super that was special, that had a special message, right, or you have a special light that no one else knows, right, then all of a sudden you become important, right? Because I know something that no one else knows about. And God is giving me a special message that no one else has this special message. Are you following me? So you create a super self and feel like that's their affirmation. That's their approval because now I am important. And I felt that's exactly what she was going through and she was actually presenting the super self, this stone, this covering, this mask that I am someone special. I believe that's a danger that we all can fall in, including myself. We come to church and our finest clothes on the outside where we're still emotionally wounded on the inside. We sing the most beautiful hymns and praises to God on the outside while we're still filled with shame on the inside. We pray the most eloquent prayers on the outside while we're still empty in our hearts on the inside. But at the end it just doesn't work. For sooner or later our broken past spills into our current relationships and we end up seeing our families falling apart. Our siblings no longer attending church and our own family members not wanting to spend time with us. Beloved, God wants something to change in our church. If you believe that, let me hear you say amen. Amen? Amen. My heart goes out to pastor's kids. My daughter is a pastor's kid. She said, Dad... I'm a PK and you're a PK. I'm a pastor's kid and you're a Pastor Keala. (laughs) But my heart goes out to PKs. Almost everywhere I go there's a lot of pain and hurt. So I did this seminar at this church. It was in another island in Hawaii. And when I gave this seminar I asked for healing, and people came up for healing and anointing, and we did that. And one person came up, and as I talked with this person, he said, I'm a pastor's kid. And my prayer asked him, what could I pray for you for? And he said, could you please pray for me that I would be real? I just want to be real. A pastor's kid, you don't understand the pressures of being a pastor's kid because you're like a, you know, like a fish in a big bowl, and like the parents are pushing upon the kids to be something they're not. Heavy pressure so that you can make a good, you know, look good. It's kind of like a politician, right? You gotta look good so everyone will like you. That's kind of how it is. And so like a, there's a big push for that. And in that same presentation, and appeal, um, another person came forward, and here was another pastor's kid. He said, I'm a pastor's kid. And he said to me, and this people, this couple, had just sung the most beautiful duet I've ever heard for special music. I mean, it was so beautiful. And he came up to me, and this other man said, I'm also a pastor's kid, but I need healing also. I need healing in how... I verbally abuse my wife who would ever guess you know, on the outside we look so good but who would ever guess what's really going on behind closed doors who would ever guess how people are really feeling on the inside in their hearts sometimes if we take the time to really listen to what we say ask, when we ask people how you're doing if sometimes if we just actually take the time to even to listen to people maybe we get a glimpse of how people are really doing today do you think so Hey, how are you doing? I always try to do the second one. Hey, how are you doing? And I'm fine. And I go, No, really, how are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of catches people, right? Well, you know what? This week was a bad week, right? And God may use you to reach this person. But I know we're so busy. We're just talking about that today with somebody. But sometimes we have to look at what is really important in life. When it's all said and done, what is really important in this life? When I go to all these funerals, what are they talking about? Man, I wish, wow, I just wish I spent more time, you know, not spend time in my job, you know, is that what people are saying? Why, I just wish I spent more time in my career and developing it, or I wish I spent more time in um, just getting more degrees. I mean, is that what you're hearing at the funerals? (laughs) Far from it, right? I wish I had spent more time with the person who had died, right? I wish, I wish, I wish. Forget about wishing. How about we just do it? What do you say? Amen? Amen. Why wait for a tragedy to change when that person is already gone? Why not make changes in our career, our education? To make sure that our families stay together. If our families are healthy, our churches will be healthy. If our relationships are good, our churches will be good. If our children are happy in the home, they'll be happy in the church and not leave too. They'll be secure in their parents' love. I really believe that with all my heart. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 in your Bibles. What did Jesus do on the cross? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The Bible says here, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the what? Shame. In other words, on the cross, Jesus disregarded the negative emotions of shame upon the cross. You see, when people were crucified on the cross, in Rome, the tradition was that they would always be crucified naked. Therefore, it was a very shameful experience for a person to be up there on the cross, exposed for all to see, naked. It was only after the original paintings depicted Jesus naked that they actually changed it and put like a little loincloth to cover it up because of the shame involved. You know Corrie Ten Boom? How many of you heard of Kari Ten Boom? <laughs> okay, okay, good. So Kari Ten Boom was asked by a pastor, what was the most shameful thing that you ever experienced in a concentration camp? What was the worst experience that you could have ever experienced there? And she gave a completely different answer from what was expected. She said it was a nakedness. So often having to be naked before all those jeering soldiers, that was the worst of it all, she said. And then I thought about it, and I thought about what she said. It wasn't the murders, how horrible it was. It wasn't the rapes she had probably witnessed. It wasn't all these, these bad and wicked things that she had seen, and the deaths, and starvation, and all these things. But what really troubled her and was the most shameful was actually being naked and exposed for all to see. It was very shameful. And it was this same horrible shame of being naked on the cross that Jesus disregarded for both you and me. Now if someone was to take you by force, strip you of all your clothes so you're completely naked, take you out here, on the street out here, Anderson or Barton, wherever, and then put you on a pole and tie you up and sh- spread you apart for all the public to see you that way, and then mock you and make fun of you and your body parts, what would you call that? Abuse. Abuse, right? Sexual abuse. And you think if somebody was to do that to you, that they'll get away scot-free? You think that would happen? They'd probably be thrown into jail for sexual abuse, right? But when you think about what happened to Jesus on the cross, That's exactly what happened to Jesus, right? In other words, he was stripped of all his clothes. He was physically abused and beaten, right? And then he was spread apart on top of a cross, right? And then he was put out in public for all to see his nakedness, right? And then they verbally abused him and psychologically abused him on the cross. In other words, Jesus understands what it means to be sexually abused on the cross, You see, we all have shame because of the sins that we have done and because of the sins that have been done to us. But because of His shameful experience on the cross of Calvary, there is no shameful thing that has ever been done to you or no shameful thing that you have done to someone else where Jesus does not understand. What do you say? Amen? Jesus understands what it means to be physically abused. Jesus understands what it means to be verbally abused. Jesus understands what it means to be psychologically abused. Jesus understands what it means to be spiritually abused. And forsaken. Jesus understands what it means to be sexually abused. In other words, Jesus can understand. What do you say? Amen. You know, they did a, uh, a study, and they want to see the audience connection with the people being interviewed. So they had this one person, and they told him, Okay, we want you to go before this audience, and what we want you to do is you're gonna be interviewed, and we want you to give all the right answers, good answers. And we want you to dress perfectly. And we want you to do everything just right. So they did that. And the person was interviewed. He gave the right answers. And he did everything perfectly. And he didn't miss a cue. He did it all perfectly. And then they rated the audience connection with that person who did something perfectly. Do you know what happened? The connection of the audience with the person being interviewed was very low. Because he was too perfect for everyone else. They couldn't connect. Then they did another interview with another person. They told him, look, we want you to mess up. We want you to be a klutz. We want you to you know, do everything wrong, right? So here, this guy on cue. He gave all the wrong answers. You know, he's like messing up. He wasn't dressed too good, you know. I kind of did a couple of things in my speaking engagements. Like, you know, I had sick and I had a pink scarf around my neck. And <laughs> I was walking. Up. I thought I pulled it up, it was hanging on my back. And I bought my friend's you know, lavender Bible. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's looking ridiculous up there, you know. I just remember that one time. And so, anyway, just making mistakes and just messing up and doing all these things. And actually, they say, you know what, when you're being interviewed, you spill the coffee over yourself. So, being interviewed, he spilled the coffee over himself. He goes, oh man, I'm such a klutz. You know, I'm just, I just keep spilling everything. And you know, what they rated the connectivity between the audience and the person being interviewed who kept messing up. Do you know that they rated the connectivity very high? Why? Because they could relate. And you know what? Jesus can relate to you whatever you've gone through. What do you say? Amen? He was tempted in all points. What do you say? Amen? He can relate to you. He's gone through it. He experienced the sexual abuse. He knows what it's like to be abused. He knows what it feels to be put down. He knows what it's like to be bullied as a child but his older brothers. He knows what it's like. He's understood it. He's been there and he can relate to you. He can relate to your shame whatever it may be because he experienced it himself. We need to be transparent. We need to let people see our brokenness. Let them see the cracks in your armor so that the light may shine through. Rosie was a patient in the ICU and a pastor came up to see Rosie and Rosie said to the pastor oh pastor it's no use there's no hope for me at all I don't know the Bible I haven't been to church in 30 years I know God won't listen to me I've just been too bad And then the minister asked Rosie, Rosie, could you please share with me your story? And Rosie began her story. And Rosie said, it all began when my mother died. I was just a teenager, 16 years old. But that wasn't the worst of it. She said, the night after my mom's funeral, my older brother and I went out and got roaring drunk and we ended up sleeping together. And she said, ever since then, my life has been downhill. And I know God just cannot forgive me for the shame that I have and the guilt that I have. There's no way He can. That God cannot Then the minister shared 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19 where God was reconciling the world to himself on the cross, not counting the sins against them. In other words, everything between me and God is all right. And he shared that everything between you, Rosie, and God is all right if you would believe. And the last words to him was, what you told me was wonderful. I'm going to try and believe. The next morning, the pastor went to go see Rosie. And then he came around the room. He turned the corner and he looked at Rose's bed and saw that her bed was empty. Not knowing what happened, he turned around to walk away. And as he turned around to walk away, the nurse stopped him. Say, said, wait a minute, aren't you the minister that came last night? And he goes, yes, I am. Say, said, I need to tell you that last night, Rosie died in her sleep. But before she died, she told me to give you a message. And the message was this, Pastor. Go tell that Pastor that I did take and listen to what he said and I did believe that everything between me and God is alright. God can do miracles in our lives if we would just believe. What do you say? Amen? Amen. I love Romans 5 verse 8. While we were yet sinners, right? This is God's love toward us. While we were yet sinners, I shared this morning. God loved us. God died for us. That we don't have to put on a show. You know, we live in a performance-based life. When we perform, people love us and accept us, right? And that's the beauty of the gospel. You don't have to perform. And God will still love you. Want to say Amen. While you're yet a sinner, Christ loved you and died for you. You were a sinner, worthless, hopeless condition, unable to do anything good, still wicked, living in sin and still in sin and not yet out of it. God still loves you and accepts you where you're at. What do you say, Amen? amen? And it's that love and acceptance that you experience from God when you see that you're loved and accepted so much, there is nothing that you will not do for God because you are walking now in freedom. And in that freedom, you can do great things for God because now you don't feel pressure to perform for God because God is not like our parents. God is not an abuser. What do you say, amen? Amen. God does not just love you just because you perform well, because you do well in your grades in school. Not because you got a good job. God loves you whether you don't have a good job. What do you say, amen? Amen. God loves you whether you got... Now, don't, no, don't tell your parents I said this. But God loves you even if you got all Fs, if that's you. What do you say, amen? amen. But you want to, God wants you to do your best, amen? amen. <laughs> but even if you would come to that condition, and even if you would mess up in life, and even if you end up in divorce, and even if things go bad, and even if you lose your job, and even if you lose all the money you got, guess what? God will still love you. Amen. And God will accept you wherever you may be at. And when you experience that love of God, that, you know, I know you're hearing this, but sometimes you need to experience it. But when you need to experience God's true love, a different way of love you have not seen in this world, when you see this love, you don't need to wear any more mask. And that's the solution. When you see that you're accepted as who you are without any mask, when you finally realize that, that's when the stone will be rolled away. And That's what God wants with you and me. And when Laodicea finally gets this message and finally receives this message, God's going to do a powerful thing in our church, I believe. You know, back when I was in college, I was always known as being happy and making people laugh. Always being happy-go-lucky. Happy-go-lucky Hawaiian, right? <laughs> always knows how to have a good time always looking for the next fun thing to do. But I realized afterwards that all of the fun and laughter were just my way to numb the pain of my past. Even in laughter, the Bible says, the heart is heavy. So we can the outside look like we're happy and numb our pain, and numb it with music and clubbing and dancing, And many other things. And the saddest thing of it all is that no one would have guessed how empty I really was. Including my own self. I didn't realize how bad I really was. You see, I had grown up in a home. My dad was an alcoholic. And it was an abusive home. An abusive situation. And so when I was growing up, I come to a point where I was actually bitter and angry with my dad for what he had done and all the pain and hurt he had caused me, my brothers and sisters and my mom and in my own heart, I felt that, you know, I don't know how he felt about me, but in my own heart, I felt like I hated him at that time, that I didn't love him and I was very hurt by all the things that he had done. What happened one night, my mom told me this story when uh, my dad was drinking a lot and and he had gotten his rifle and he was shooting in the roof and it was just a crazy experience and you know he had things that turned bad, really bad so the police had to come and at night when the police came he pretended everything was good And when they left, he went back to chasing down my mom, broke down the door, went in after her. And right then he was going to get her, the police came in and arrested him. (laughs) You know, they were waiting right outside because they knew, I mean, they know what's going on. So this was a life. And then we got, I guess, went to a county fair. And that's where my parents won a free Bible. (laughs) Yeah, and, and with a free Bible, guess what, what comes along with free Bibles? Free Bible studies, right? <laughs> Amen. So free Bible studies, and my mom started having these free Bible studies. And my dad didn't want it. Every time they come over, my dad would be cussing them out. I'm cussing my mom out, and he would dig out. And so, you know, my mom started to come into church. She got baptized, and then we started to go to church. We came from the Catholic Church and came over, and we switched schools from the Catholic school to Adventist schools. And then um, my oldest brothers and sisters were already out of the house already. But then my dad um, was totally against religion, um, everything. And then finally, what happened was my dad had his car, I guess a sports car, and he was always driving. He always get into car accidents, and, and the fact that he lived was pretty amazing. But one time he got in a car accident, and he had smashed a car, and the car was, had flipped over, and he was actually pinned under the car, and bleeding profusely, but it happened that it happened right in front of the hospital, the medical center. That's the miracle. So here are in his house, you know, he's there in the hospital. And when my mom said that she went down to see how he was, he was actually upside down because they had lost so much blood that the only way to keep his brain cells alive, they had put him upside down to keep the blood in there. And he said, you know, Lord, if you, if I live, please, I'll. I changed my life and quit drinking and smoking. He was smoking four packs a day. Amen. remember that? So he did. He changed his life. Turned his life all the way around. But you know, he got baptized, praise God, when I was a senior in high school. Amen? Amen. But you know, I guess I was still bitter at my dad. Angry for all the things he'd done to me. I wasn't talking to him, even during a senior year. And so when I left, I had gone crazy. I went to college. I have gone crazy. I'm free now. I'm just going crazy. I still had rebellion in my heart. And I remember purposely I said because something didn't happen when I was a senior, I purposely made it a point to make life a living hell for my parents. Because I had not healed from what had happened in my past. So I did that. And I continued to live life my own way in college and and then God did a miracle. He broke me. I hit my rock bottom. And when I hit my rock bottom, that's when I turned to God, started to seek God. I didn't know where to begin. At age 22, I started to seek God and didn't even know what to do or how to do things. And this happened. I met a friend who had something called morning devotions. I never heard of anything like that before. And I started to like this. Me and read like a Bible text from Psalms because I didn't know where to go in the Bible. And I started reading this Bible text and. I started to change and God started to change my life. I mean, this, I'm mean, gonna fast forward five years. And in five years, God had, had changed me again. I went to a mission trip to Fiji and God changed my life. And I felt like God was calling me to go into the ministry. So I went there to, um, God called me to the school, pastor ministry and Weimar College. And I went to there and I, I felt God was changing my life. And then I was so excited and of all places, you know, God called me back to Hawaii to pastor. I mean, that's pretty hard because I know a lot of friends on the mainland, past fellow colleagues, who wish they could pastor in Hawaii. And so I had the privilege of coming back home to my own hometown. And, and not only, of all the islands in Hawaii, there's, you know, there's eight islands, but there's four major ones. Of all the islands in Hawaii, I actually came back to the one island where I actually grew up on. And I was pastoring on that very same island my parents were on. Isn't that amazing? And so, what I do is that, well, I'll be preaching in one church at District back then. So, I would, when, between churches, I would stop by my parents' house and I will spend time with my dad. And you no, know, before we had no intimacy between each other, I hated him. I, for all I knew, he hated me. You no, know, God was healing my heart and taught me what it is to forgive because God has forgiven me. And how can I not forgive my father? And we'll spend two hours or three hours just talking, in Hawaii we call it talking story, okay? Where you're just talking, hanging out and talking story. And we'll talk for two hours and three hours, sometimes four hours and just talking and like reconnecting with the father that I wish I always had growing up. And God had healed him and healed me and brought reconciliation within my family. And I praise God for what he has done in my own life. It was only because I've seen the love of God God began to heal my wounded heart. That God began to work miracles in my family. But I had to realize that I needed healing. And God is still healing me. It's a work of a lifetime, right? But we must be open to that work of a lifetime. What do you say, amen? And we cannot change unless we roll away that stone. That is the greatest need. You think it's no big deal. I want to end with this story. I had a school. We have a school called School of the Prophets. Healing Rain. And we did it for this past summer for 10 days in Hawaii. It was one of the churches I once used a pastor. We did at the Puna Church. And in this school, we had... Um, a whole bunch of people from different places, and one of them was actually a head elder from another church on the island and his wife. And they're older, okay, so um, because they felt that it's going to be mostly young people, they didn't want to come unless there are other older people inside this in the program. But I assured them it would be okay, and there were going to be other people their age. So they came and they came to the school for the 10 days, and they're actually so excited so they felt like they're they're experiencing healing and before every time I talked to this head out of this church he would uh, always ask because he was a PK also so every time I asked this head out how how is it like being a PK and he always used to answer me the same thing he used to say to me oh it was a really good experience you know that was the first PK I've ever had experience where actually he said it actually went good and I'm sure there's others out there but um maybe I haven't run across too many well, He's the first one who said that i said well okay well that's good praise god amen that's a good testimony so i was so excited but then they asked me to have counseling sessions with them that week so i did the first one went okay but it was the last one or the second one we finished the classes already it was our day off we're going to coconut island they're having fun uh, the kids are jumping off the rocks swimming and everything and so it was, it was like a bonding experience and they wanted to meet with me one more time. And so they did. But in this session, we talked about removing the stone. And they said to us, we really need to have our stones removed because it's just not working. He's the head elder, member of a church. And he said to me, finally, he finally broke. And he broke down and said, You know what? Life growing up as a pastor's kid wasn't really good after all. It wasn't. It was very painful. In fact, I was abused as a child. And he said, but the reason why I didn't want to share that was because my older sisters rebelled against my family and ran away from home. And I said in my mind, I would not disrespect my parents. So he did everything possible, good, right? to protect the reputation of his family by saying that it was always good. But because he was doing that, he couldn't have experienced the healing that he really needed to experience. And so when he finally shared that, he opened up and his wife opened up, then God began to do miracles in their life. And and so quickly, and then, this was just a month ago, this had happened, a little over a month ago. And this last week, I got an email from them. So I'm going to read you a little bit of his email, what he wrote to me. He said, he went, oh, by the way, he gave a sermon. And he, he titled it, Take Away the Stone, also. <laughs> Where he became real. And then his wife gave a sermon, too. Her own on another day. And she never preached in her whole life. In other words, they're doing things that they would never think they'll be able to do once they have first experienced healing. That's how powerful healing is. And he wrote this in his email. He said, When I shared my story of being bullied as a child, a gentleman shared how he was bullied as a child also. I also shared about how hard it was to be a pastor's kid. He said, my wife gave her testimony about her parents and how she felt she was a cause of their unhappiness. She related that she often complains to me because of her past pain. She shared how God's love covers all. She used 1 John 4, 9 as her text. During her sermon, she shed a few tears. At the end of her sermon, many people hugged her and thanked her for sharing her story. One 15-year-old boy said he is just like her. He wishes he could change. My wife prayed for him. Another man related how he was abused as a child and that it is currently affecting his current relationship with his wife. Because he has not healed yet. Then he ended with this. By sharing what we have learned, we are finding that other people have wounds, just like we had. By being willing to be vulnerable, others are coming to us, sharing their stories. What do you say, amen? Don't underestimate the power of transparency. Don't underestimate that. It is so powerful when you become real with people and you become transparent with your own struggles that God has given you the victory over that you had wrestled with, God's going to do amazing things, I can guarantee it. Amazing things. You have not seen or heard nor entered into your heart the things that God has prepared for what he wants for you to do. And each one of you has a story. It's all different and that's what God wants because each one of us is going to reach the people that needs to be reached through you that I could never reach. And he's going to use it in a powerful way. And he wants that you to experience that. I want that, how about you? What do you say, amen? amen. God wants us to come to a point where we are stored back into the image of God, where we are naked. Transparent, naked and transparent. And totally unashamed. We can experience that today. And God will help us to experience that. Let us pray. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts. And I pray, Father, that we may take away the stone on our hearts and may we roll it away so that your light of your love may shine through our dark hearts and that it may give the light the, of the gospel of the character of God. And I pray, Lord, that you may bless everyone here And may we commit our lives anew, and may we truly desire to be real. So, Lord, at this moment, I want to pause a little time here. And does anyone here in their mind or in their thoughts want to, at this time, say, Lord, please give me the strength to remove the stone to make that prayer at this time? This media was brought to you by Audioverse